I'm thankful to Rhonda and the team as they lead in worship. Uh, they do just, you put a lot of great thought into what you prepare, and everything that we've sung this morning goes along with our passage of Scripture today out of John chapter 4. I want to review a few things before we get started this morning. First of all, next Sunday, what's going to be different up to this point? Our kids are going to be with us. That's right. Our kids are going to be with us next Sunday. Come prepared. Bags of M&Ms in your pockets. All kinds of things. <laughs> Welcome them. And it'll be a good time for us to worship together. At this point, what will happen in the service is when I begin, um, I'll ask uh, Danita and her helpers to go gather at the back door. I'll ask you as a congregation to pray for our kids. So our kids won't get up yet. I'll have you stretch out your arms, put your hand on their shoulder or head. We will pray for them and bless them. That they will learn and understand new things about God. And then we will dismiss them to go gather with Benita back at the back and bless them for the rest of their Sunday morning. So that's how things will go. Are you ready? Can we do it? Yeah. Yes, we can. We can do it. All right. Good job. October the 7th is a baptism and healing service. And I'm just delighted as I see... Um, some response cards coming in from those of you who are saying, I'd like to be baptized. I'd like to go through that. It's going to be a great day. And I'm really, really looking forward to celebrating that with you. I want you to be praying over October the 7th and circling that down. And if you would like to participate in some way, either by, um, by being baptized, maybe you've not been baptized before. I've talked with some who have said, I was baptized as a young child or as an infant, but never as a believer. That can happen on this Sunday. If you would like to affirm a baptism, that can happen on this Sunday. Just fill out that on the back and put it in the offering plate. Or um, if you come find me and tell me verbally, I'll forget. There's just too much going on. I have to have you write it down. So I'll just hand you another bulletin and say, fill out another one of these contact cards and put it in the uh, offering plate. All right. Well, we've been studying Jesus and his encounters with water, and it is fun to talk about Jesus. It really is fun. And today is another fun uh, story out of our Gospels that God has given to us about Jesus. I remember as a child, and perhaps you feel the same way even now as an adult, having a favorite water faucet in the house to go get a drink of water from. When I would go to bed at night in Miles City, Montana, before I would go, I would need a drink of water like every child does, right? Mom, Dad, I'm thirsty. But I could only drink the water out of the bathroom faucet downstairs. The kitchen faucet tasted different. The upstairs water tasted different. I was convinced that that was the best water in the house. Anybody else agree with me or am I crazy? I'm crazy. Okay, there's a couple people. I heard some. There's a few of us who are crazy together. Yeah, there's this certain, like, it just tastes better coming out of this spot. And I don't know why, but I really loved it that way. Today, we're going to look at the woman at the well. And she is coming to get water to drink. And Jesus is asking for something to drink. But the conversation gets into something so much more incredible. John chapter 4, if you want to use your pew Bibles, red, it's page 752, blue, it's page 1052, how about that? And uh, we'll read it together. Now, I've got up on the screen New Living Translation, so don't read it out of your... <laughs> you can follow along in that Bible, but if we're going to read it together, let's do it here. We're going to be reading verse 4 through verse 30, okay? Now, there's a lot to do today. It's a long story, but it's a good one. So let's read it together. We're going to do it all in one shot. Let's fill God's house with God's word and read. He, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. 
Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gizerim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This is an incredible story. Great job reading that along. You did great. I love this story. It's absolutely incredible, the woman at the well. And why is it so incredible? 
First of all, if you have your bulletins, pull them out because this is your first note in your bulletin. You'll remember more if you just write this down. First of all, it is a surprise what happens in this story. This is a complete surprise. The woman is surprised. Jesus' disciples are surprised. Everyone is surprised that Jesus would have this conversation with this lady. Remember, John, the author of this gospel, is one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of the disciples, and he says, when we got back and we saw Jesus having this conversation, we were shocked. But none of us had the nerve to ask, what are you doing here, Jesus? Why are you talking to her? You're with me. They were surprised. They were surprised. Why this reaction? Why is this story such a surprise? Like When we read this in the Bible, John, the author, would appreciate it if when we see that Jesus interacts with the woman, that we all just go, <gasps> and gasp really big, because it is that, like, that's that was their reaction. Why is it a surprise? First reason it's a surprise is because she is a Samaritan. She is a Samaritan. For the Samaritans and the Jews, they have a common ancestry, but the Samaritans would mingle Judaism with paganism, and they were a subgroup and considered heretics by the Jews. In fact, you've heard it probably before, that when Jews would travel north to south and they come through Samaritan areas, they would oftentimes go around, take a longer trip, so that they wouldn't even step foot in an area where Samaritans lived in order to keep themselves pure and separated from them. Jesus decided to go into where they were and they were considered heretics. And so talking to any Samaritan would have been a surprise that Jesus, a Jew, would do this thing. The second reason it's a surprise is that she is a woman. She is a woman. So not only is he talking to a Samaritan, but he is talking to a Samaritan woman. And if you were going to be teaching something of great truth in the day, it was just culturally strange that you would be interacting in this way with a woman. Um, we've talked about this before, and we'll get to it again. I won't ruin the surprise. Number three. The third reason it's a surprise is that she is there all alone in the middle of the day. That's a surprise. Let me break that down for you. We read this detail, and it doesn't normally strike us as unusual at all. But the people back then did not go to the well at noon in the heat of the day. Why would you do that? You'd get up early, and you'd go together in the morning when it was still cool or late in the day when the temperature was going down, and you would carry that water and get it for cooking and washing. It's not a fun job. If you've ever had to carry lots of water, like uh, we use like distilled water in our coffee maker so that the uh, lime here doesn't destroy it, you know? And sometimes I've got like six gallons of water, three in each hand. It is not easy to carry a lot of water, much less in a big cistern like she would have been carrying at the time. And so you wouldn't want to go when the sun is out, full force, when it's really warm and around you. Why would you choose the middle of the day to be the time that you would go? And this was also a social time for people culturally. You'd gather around the well, you'd talk as your cisterns were being filled, you'd enjoy one another's company, but this woman is here in the middle of the day and she's all alone. Why? I believe it's because she is an outcast in her own society. So now let's break this down, okay? 
She is an outcast to Jews. Gender speaking, she is an outcast in society. And inside her own community of her own people, she has no one. This woman is all alone. This is why it's a surprise that Jesus would be speaking with her. Every bearer, morality, society, culture, religion, she is on the outside of every group of people. She can identify with nobody. And Jesus comes into the story and he blows through every one of those barriers and says, hey, let's get to know each other. Jesus does this over and over again in scripture. On resurrection morning, he does it there to an outsider, to a woman. Again, why would that happen in that way? And Jesus is here with her. And she is like, it's incredible. The reason he does this is that Jesus has a gift that is for every person, a living water that is for every person. It is grace not earned on merit, not for what you're worth. We talked about that last week. It is such a huge surprise every time. And the people who God radically transforms to use for his kingdom are absolutely the people that you would least expect. Sometimes you would say, well, surely it's, you know, this person, they grew up in a, in a, um, Christian home and, you know, they, they, they know what's going on, but God chooses some very different people to use for his work. And I say amen to that. Uh, I love it that God chooses us because I feel different sometimes. I, I want to be chosen in that way. Religion and morality tell us that there is no surprise. It's the people who work hard, who study hard, who read all the Bible, who learn the Greek, the original language. Those are the people who God should use. But Jesus breaks down those barriers because Christianity is a surprise. Listen, it's important to see this. In the last chapter, in John chapter 3, if you were to turn back just a page in your Bible, Jesus finished talking to a man who had none of the barriers that this woman had. This guy that he's talking to is Jewish, he's male, and he's upstanding in society. He's spiritually minded. It's very easy to think that this is the kind of guy and the kind of people that Jesus would like, that Jesus would hang out with good people who live good lives and have good reputations. But John shows us, John chapter 3 to John chapter 4, if you compare the two stories, you're going to see the radical transformation in John chapter 4. John chapter 3 is going to end a little bit differently. Go do a little Bible study and find it out for yourself. Jesus has no problem taking the initiative with people who aren't that good. Jesus doesn't have any issue beginning relationship with people who are not good. People who may have all kinds of reasons for not going to church. Jesus initiates with people who have pasts, who have problems, who other people have written off in life. In other places, he says that these people enter his kingdom before the good people. Now you may be here this morning thinking that you have to overcome a lot of barriers before you can ever have a conversation with Jesus Christ. You may say, I've got too much in my past, too much history that I need to clean up and get my life together. And you may have been taught that in church before too, that you need to become good and right and get cleaned up and then you can talk to Jesus. But the message of the Bible is that Jesus initiates the conversation right where you are in the most surprising ways. Becoming a religious do-gooder can actually take you further away 
than meeting Jesus right where you're at. Jesus talks with the most unlikely people. He may want to initiate something with you this morning. So would you begin to prepare your heart and think about that? So imagine the story from the perspective of this woman. It's an ordinary day. Her goal, head out at noon where I won't have to face the shame of the other women in the community. I'll go get water from the well and I'll have water to cook and wash and I'll be good. And along the way, her life gets radically transformed. And you know what's amazing? A thousand years from now, I doubt anybody's going to be talking about you or me. But I suspect that a thousand years from now, people will still be talking about this woman because it is such a radical thing that Jesus does in her life. Why? Because Christianity is grace. Anyone, anywhere can meet Jesus. Anyone, anywhere can come with him. It doesn't matter if you've been camping out on the porch of hell. You can come in contact with Jesus and be radically changed. If the living water is grace, if it is a gift, then it means there are all kinds of things we need to leave at the door before we come in here. Out in the world, it's all about titles and accomplishments. And in here, we need to leave our titles and accomplishments at the door and recognize it's not about the way I dress. It's not what I've achieved in life. It's that no person should look at me and say, well, there's a leader. Who does, or, or even who does he or she think she is coming in here? There's no more of that. We are all on an equal playing field. We are sinners in need of grace. And every time we come, who knows what could happen? Every time we get in contact with Jesus, who knows what could happen because it's a surprise. But it's not just a surprise. Jesus is offering here to this woman ultimate satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction. When he says, I'm here to give you living water, it's not just about forgiveness of sins. That is a part of it. It is about forgiveness from sins, but it's not just about forgiveness from sin. It is something more. Most of us don't live in a desert climate, especially last night. Like, right, the last week or so, it's been crazy. We've had rain galore. We know what it's like to have water around. Sometimes we have too much water around. We don't know what it's like. So let's put on our thinking caps for a minute and imagine. You're made mostly of water, and when you are dehydrated, every part of you begins to cry out for water. If you get dehydrated enough, you end up lying down and dying in utter torment. And Jesus says to her here, I've got something that your soul needs more than your body needs water. That's a pretty big statement. I've got something that you need more than you need water. If you went without water for a while, you may begin to understand what Jesus is talking about there. I don't think any of us have faced that recently. But it's more than that. Jesus said, I don't just want to give you something that your soul needs to satisfy you for a moment. I want to give you a spring of life that is welling up inside of you. Without Christ, we look everywhere for that type of satisfaction. We might look to our job, to our family, to our spouse, to our kids, to some sort of love, some sort of relationship. But what happens when all that blows up? What happens when it's not around anymore? Those things are fallible. It falls apart. There is no satisfaction there. I feel like we need a musical interlude. 
Let's let's do it, okay? Let's have a musical interlude here. Sing it with me if you know, okay? Alright, you guys you know the song? Who knows it? Okay. Here we go. What ultimately will bring my soul satisfaction? If you were to travel to London and go down Fulham Road, there's an ancient fountain. That's not super ancient, but it's been around for hundreds of years. And on top of this fountain, on that arch across the top, there's an inscription. It's really hard to see in this picture, but the inscription says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Like this visual reminder when you go to the fountain that this may satisfy for a moment, but it's not going to satisfy forever. We all should take that on our refrigerators, right over that little dispenser. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. There is no ultimate satisfaction anywhere but what God wants to give to us. And I wish that we could post this over everything, over our careers, over our relationships, over our achievements, over everything. All these things quench our thirst at some level, but when we drink from those fountains, we will thirst again. When we use money, sex, power to try to quench our spiritual thirst, ultimately we will be left unsatisfied. When used as a substitute for the living water that Jesus talks about, these things are spiritual poison to us. And they ultimately leave us thirsting for more. You may be offended by this next picture. I know I kind of am. So hold back. <laughs> I told you, I knew it. Tom Brady has set the record for most touchdown passes in a regular season. He's paved the way for winning MVPs in Super Bowls. He has won five Super Bowls now. An accomplishment that sets him apart, and some people call him the GOAT, which stands for... <laughs> I told you some of you were going to react negatively to this. Some people call him the greatest of all time. He's married to a supermodel. But listen to what he said in an interview after winning his fourth Super Bowl. Here's his words. Why do I have these Super Bowl rings and think that there is still something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goals, my dreams, my life, but me, I keep thinking, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being a quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm still trying to find. What do those words sound like to you? They sound like a soul that is looking for ultimate satisfaction. When Jesus says to us, purpose, love, peace, hope, beauty, all that wells up within you without you having to look anywhere else when you find the source of living water. I can give that to you to the point where no matter what happens in life, no matter what relationship falls apart, no matter what happens in your career, whatever happens, you can have a satisfaction knowing that you have access to the God of the universe. Think about it this way. If you bought a plot of land where there used to be a well, you can fill in a well and build a building on top of it, and you're going to be fine. 
If you bought a piece of property where there was a natural spring that was bubbling up, and you built a building on top of it, you can't stop that. The building is going to be impacted by that. You're going to face the repercussions of building on top of a bubbling spring. Life may blow apart, but the joy of the Lord can keep bubbling out. The woman at the well didn't recognize that she needed something spiritual, but Jesus knew it and he recognized it right away. She didn't come to the well that day to have that conversation, but Jesus got her there. She was alone. The conversation wouldn't have taken place if she was just some other woman. And if it had been, if, if life had been good, messed up. And in that mess is there's Jesus meeting her there. And the same is true for us. When life is going great, we don't often see Jesus. Somehow we're blind to him. But isn't it true that when we've messed up, when life is a disaster, that that's when we need Him and we start to look for Him and we start to find Him. And He gets with alone with us and starts making us think. He gets her intellectual interest, which I find interesting. Christianity is far more than intellectual, but it's not less than intellectual, so He gets her thinking here. And He says to her, He gets, he gets personal too, He keeps saying living water, but she's just not there yet. She doesn't understand. She keeps thinking about not having to walk up the hill again to this thing and carry that cistern with her. She doesn't know what it's like to have running water. She doesn't know where Jesus could find access to living water because he doesn't even have a bucket or a rope. Where is he going to find this? And Jesus keeps working to try to get her there to the point where he wants her to see that he is the ultimate satisfaction in life. He says to her, go get your husband. Why? Is Jesus changing the subject? No. And Jesus is not calling out her sin either. He's not saying, you're a sinner. You're a sinner here, and you need to know that what you've been doing, lady, is not right. That is not what he says. Why is he saying this to her? What's happening when he says, go get your husband? What he's saying to her is trying to get her brain on the same wavelength that he's on saying, are spiritually thirsty for something. Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. You're right, you've had five. And the man you're living with now isn't your husband either. You are looking for satisfaction in life, but you are not finding it. You are looking to fill that God-shaped hole that's inside of your life with everything else that you can find to pack in there, but you're finding it in the wrong places. And you're finding over and over again that this is unsatisfactory. So those places that you're drinking deep, transfer those to me. Your job, if that's where you're finding satisfaction and trying to find it and it's just up and down all the time, transfer it to Jesus. Your acceptance, your appearance, your political causes, you're never going to find living water until you find your idol and you take it to the Lord and you say, this is not where I found satisfaction. There's been a hole in the bucket of my soul. I need you to come fill me with something. What are the broken cisterns that you need to take to Jesus and instead find the spring of water flowing up in you? How is this for everyone? Jesus points to it. She tries to change the subject with him along the way. He's trying to get her there spiritually, and she tries to divert. She says, I see you're a prophet. Let's talk about temples. We worship here. You all worship there. 
And Jesus doesn't say that the Samaritan or Jewish temple is the right one. He doesn't say that God is a spirit so that you can worship him anywhere. He's, what's he doing? He says to her, the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here. In the English Standard Version, a more literal translation, the words say, believe me, the hour is coming. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the Water to Wine sermon. Why does Jesus say the hour is coming? And he does it over and over again in Scripture. What is Jesus thinking about when he says in Scripture, the hour is coming? He's thinking about his death on the cross. He's saying you do need a temple, but it's not on your mountain and it's not in Jerusalem. I'm the temple. You do need a sacrifice, but it's not one you offer there on your mountain or one that we offer there on that mountain. I am the sacrifice. When Jesus says the hour is coming, he's foreshadowing what's about to happen. Jesus comes to this woman and he asks her for a drink. He says, I thirst, but that's not the last time he's ever going to say that. Where does it happen again? On the cross. Jesus' ultimate thirst. He has physical dehydration from the unrelenting abuse of the men upon him. Spiritual dehydration from the undiluted wrath of God being poured out on his life. And there's prophecy about Jesus that talks about this in Nahum chapter 1, verse 6. Who can stand before God's indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like a fire and the rocks are broken asunder by him. And Jesus hung on the cross and took that wrath. On the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joints, is what the rest of the psalm says. My heart has turned to wax and has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Jesus died of that thirst so that you and I could have a spring of living water flowing up inside of us. He was laid in the dust of the earth so that your thirst could be satisfied. Jesus is the only God who will satisfy you when you find him. And this woman's life is changed. She runs back to her village, runs back to her community, and she says, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Where is the shame she had? Just a moment ago, she was going by herself in the middle of the day to the well to get the water, and now she's running back, grabbing every person she can find, and saying, come see this man. Is he the Messiah? She's happy. She's rejoicing. She goes to the people she's been avoiding, and she does it of her own volition. No command from Jesus that says, thou shalt now go tell the people about what thou hast seen here today. Her life has changed. This big mess has changed, transformed, and made new, and it is given to anyone and everyone. If we ask the Lord for that spring of living water to satisfy our soul. Can I throw a curveball, Rhonda? Can we satisfy it again instead of the last one? Yeah. We're going to pray two prayers today. Some of you, this is probably going to be your prayer. Some of you are going to say, I need the living water. I've been looking for it. I've been trying to find it elsewhere. I've been, I've been 
trying to find my satisfaction in my job, in my relationships, in anything and everything but Jesus. And you need to go to Jesus today and say, give me that cup of living water. Others of you, you know about Jesus. But where's that spring of living water bubbling up inside of you and overflowing and sprinkling out on other people that you interact with through the day? You know Jesus here, but do you have that spring of living water in your soul? Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus, there are some of us in this room today who need to say, give me the living water. I've tried to find satisfaction in so many different things in life, but ultimately I've been left thirsty and unsatisfied. Jesus, that is something that can only be done by you. For everything else will fade away. Our time here is short. This moment is fleeting. Relationships crumble. Jobs fall apart. Hurt enters in. And satisfaction in these things can only last for a time. God, for those here today who need to say, Jesus, I want to find my satisfaction in you. Lord, I pray that you would create in them a living spring of water. God, there are some of us who have tasted that and seen it, but it's not a bubbling spring inside of us. Maybe that just when times are bad, we come running to you and we taste of it and we see, and then we go off and we're back and forth and doing this and that. But God, I pray that for the believer, that you would give us a spring of joy inside our lives that would fill us up and overflow. That when the people that we interact with, when we go to work tomorrow, when we go uh, to the grocery store, when we see people in our community, that they would know there is something different about this person. Just simply by the way that we interact, by the way that we engage the rest of the world, by the way that we, like the woman, go running back into town and saying, you need to know about this guy. Jesus is so important. God, change our lives. Every one of us here today can pray one of those two prayers. So hear us as we pray. It's in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen.